Well, hello, Pursuit of Purpose fans. It's your host, your favorite author, your girl, Indiana Tuggle. I know that you think that I have abandoned you, but I am on a much needed spiritual break. However, if you recall, when I first started Pursuit of Purpose, it began as a live interview um, on Facebook and Instagram. So while I am on a break, I am going to be giving you some flashback episodes of interviews that I had with myself and some phenomenal women of how God was able to turn their pain into purpose. And I know that you are going to enjoy these interviews. My only suggestion is that any offers you may hear in these interviews um, regarding um, products and services, make sure that you check these um, their website to ensure that the offer is number one still available and also still the same price that they outline in the interview. So otherwise, please sit back and enjoy these interviews. And of course, I will talk to you soon. Have a great evening. Good afternoon again, Facebook, and good afternoon again, Instagram, and welcome to Pursuit of Purpose. If you've been following me, you know we have not had a Pursuit of Purpose in about a three weeks almost. That's because I had not had any guests to actually sign up for it. So I've been really in prayer and really trying to um, figure out what direction I want to go and with this. So um, tonight with everything that has been going on, I decided that it was actually time for me to share my testimony again. For those of you who don't know me, for those of you who are new to following me, you don't know who I am and what I do. So first, let me start off by saying I am your favorite author, Indiana Tuggle, um, in addition to writing three self-published books, and they are Stop Asking Why Are You Single, Save Single and Frustrated, and Awaken the Dream. Plus, I have a new book baby coming out in September of this year. So be on the lookout for that. And I will do a lot of revealing um, and a lot of marketing coming up soon about that book. So you definitely don't want to miss that because it is another one of my favorites. Um, as an author, you know that every book that you put out um, moves to the top of your favorite list. Well, in addition to being an author, I am a speaker. I am also a life coach and I am also a writing coach. And what I do is I help women break free from the pains of their past and heal from a lot of the traumas that they have been going through, such as sexual abuse, molestation, low self-esteem, bad relationships. I help them heal from that, uncover their true identity in Christ and turn their purpose into pain. And sometimes that purpose is finding their voice and actually starting to write and tell their story. So that is where the writing coach came about. Um, and if you have been a follower of Pursuit of Purpose, you know Pursuit of Purpose is all about bringing awesome, dynamic women to the forefront who have learned to turn their purpose into pain. They have learned to defy the odds. They have not only survived a traumatic past, but they are now thriving in pillars of their community. And tonight, I am bringing who, who better than 
myself to the forefront because I have been through absolutely a lot. And if you have been following me, then you know that before the age of 13, I was molested about five times. I believe I stopped counting really um, by the time I got to age 13. But the last one is the first and the last one seems to be the most vivid in my mind. The first one happened when I was eight years old. And um, the reason that it's so vivid is because it happened with a childhood friend. And uh, we were both the same age. And we were at her house and we were playing in her room and we were playing house, so to speak. And in playing house, we um, she, I was the mother and she was the father. So without going into glory details, you know what happened after that. Um, but what happened is after that molestation, I kind of got... Um, very silent. Um, before then, I was very active in school, always taking part in a lot of plays, a lot of dance recitals and things like that. Very active, very bubbly, very bright, vibrant. Um, but after that, I kind of went into a recluse and went into myself and um, ended up becoming very withdrawn, very um, shy, very reserved. And what happened was my second grade teacher, she gave me a journal. And in that journal, I began to write letters to God to tell him all about what was going on in my life. Because ironically, after the molestation is when the bullying started. I started to be bullied for my weight, for my um, dark skin color. Um, and people would call me fat, black, and ugly. That was the thing that they would call me all throughout childhood and also middle school and a little bit in high school. School, but I didn't get a lot of um, bullying in high school, so to speak, because I was really um, kind of shy into myself and people was like, okay, we're going to leave her alone. So um, it kind of, the bullying kind of stopped once I got to high school. But anyway, by the time I was 13, we had moved back to Memphis. The first one happened when we was living in Texas. We had moved back to Memphis um, and we moved into um, some new projects. And in that project, we weren't alone because I still had um, relatives in that um, project as well. I had other cousins there as well. My mother's sister lived there. And this particular night, we had a sleepover at um, a cousin of my cousin's house. And you know, in the Black family, we don't have step family. We don't have step relationships. Everybody is family. So we spent the night. It was a lot of girls. It was like five to 10 girls. We all spent the night at my cousin's house. And in the middle of the night, around 2, 3 a.m., after we had all crashed everywhere over the house, um, some of us was downstairs on the couch, on the floor, um, and some of us was upstairs. And myself and my cousin, we were upstairs sleep in her room, in her bed. And um, I noticed about 3 or so a.m., but actually, in reality, I don't remember what time it was, but I noticed a shadow on the floor. And me being young, I think I was about 12 or 13, I didn't know what the shadow was until it got closer. And by the time I realized that it was a man crawling on the floor and who that man was, his hands was in my pants. And um, when his hands got into my pants and he started unzipping my clothes and fondling my genitalia, I jumped up 
And when I jumped up, he ran out the room. And by the time he made it out the room and down the stairs steps, his daughter had jumped up as well. And she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I told her what happened. And we both ran downstairs. And when we got to the bottom of the stairs, we met another one of my friends. And she um, told how he done the same thing to her before he made it upstairs. So we're both crying. We're both sharing stories. I go get my mom. She go get her mom. They call the police. They take us to the police come. They take us to the rape crisis center. I remember having to drive in the back of the police car, sitting on the little cold um, seat, so to speak. That was the hardest seat ever. I don't know how people get arrested and drive and sit back there, but that was the hardest seat ever. And remember, as you come in, please say hello. Please share the broadcast as well to um, your friends and family on your timeline. Well, um, meanwhile, when we're driving downtown and we get to the rape crisis center, I remember going into the examination room and sitting on the gray cold metal table. I remember sitting there and I remember lying there naked from the waist down and letting the examiner um, examine my body. She was dusting my body for fingerprints and things like that. And she was lifting them off my genitalia. I remember all of that. And um, that night we went home. My mother and I never talked about it. Um, she, she just asked me, was I okay? I said, yeah. And I was still crying. And I remember her saying to stop crying. He just touched you. And, um, and even though that was I'm 41 now. So that was almost 20, yeah, about 25 years ago, 27 years ago. And I still remember those words. And um, the couple of weeks to come, we would go to court. And um, hi, Cheryl, how are you? Thanks for um, watching. We would go to court. Um, and I remember going to court. And um, I don't remember being in the courtroom the whole time. And now I understand why. It's because um, now they don't allow children to be in the courtroom while um, the prosecution is trying the trying the case. So I remember sitting outside and I remember them um, calling me in to the witness stand and I got to the witness stand and um, I remember the lawyer saying, tell me what happened. And I described and I told the story. I told what happened. And at the end, she was like, do you see the man who touched you? And um, I pointed my finger at him and that was it. And they was like, okay, you can go. And I left and we went home. Um, ironically, I didn't actually remember my mother being there in the courtroom. However, I do know that she had to have been there because I was a child. Who else was going to be there with me? Um, so, um, after that, it was not no more than a couple of weeks later. Um, my 13th, my 14th birthday was coming up and, um, I remember being introduced to a man and my mom saying, this is your dad. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is my dad. And she was like, oh, um, so-and-so is not your real father. This is your real father. And I was like, okay. And he was like, yes, I'm your dad. And, and, and I love you and I'll be here for you. And I know you got a birthday coming up and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. So I was excited, you know, I'm 14 years old. I don't know any better. So I'm excited and I wanted to 
um, go out with him and get to know him and this is not the other. Well, 14th birthday came and went and I never saw him again. I didn't see him until I was 30. I think about 32 years old is when I actually saw him again. So a little over um, eight years ago is when I saw him for the first time again after that day. And I remember feeling rejected. I remember feeling abandoned. I remember crying and asking myself, who was this man and why didn't he want me? I remember um, saying all of that. I remember um, trying to commit suicide. I remember putting a knife to my wrist and trying to kill myself. Um, I don't, uh, I remember um, getting into another relationship that, that, very same year, a couple of months later, is when I met um, this guy, my very first boyfriend. And um, my friends who I hung with, I didn't hang, hang with that many girls. It was about four of us in this group. And um, they told me peer pressure. They told me that I was the only one still a virgin. And they told me that you're just a baby and you need to become a woman and this, this and that and the other and you need to go ahead and do it. So when I met this guy and he was telling me how pretty I was and how beautiful I was, I was like, OK. And he was cute, too. So I was like, OK, we're going to do it. No sooner than I lost my virginity, the absolute very next day, I found out that my friends had lied to me. I wasn't the um, last one. I was actually the first one. And they wanted me to do it, to give them permission to do it. So um, anywho, from the age of 14 up until the age of 22, I dated this guy. Um, when I graduated high school, we actually, a year later, um, when I was 19, we actually moved in together with me, him, and his sister. We moved in together. And looking back on their relationship, I understand now that it was purely sexual. We didn't know anything about dating. We didn't know anything about love. But, um, and I'm talking now from a place of forgiveness because then I was like, you just... A idiot. But um, now looking back on it, I look at it and say that we were both young. We didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't know anything about relationships. All we knew was you're supposed to have sex. And so that's what we did. We moved in together. I found out that he was on drugs. Um, he and I broke up when I was about 22. So after him, it was just it kept being that same pattern of me meeting the guy, the guy telling me how pretty I was, the guy telling me how um, he would love me and take care of me and me falling for it. And the guy ended up moving in with me and not helping take care of the bills, not, not paying for anything, not doing anything for me. But yet I still allowed it to go on because in my eyes, he said he loved me. And so when I had to really get into my healing process, now, mind you, um, even though going through all of this, I was horrible at relationships and choosing men, I was awesome <laughs> in pursuing my goals because meanwhile, I went, I graduated high school, 
went on to college, got a bachelor's degree in social work, then went on and got another master's degree in public administration, then got another master's degree in um, in professional counseling. Um, I had bought my own house. I had bought my first house, um, bought my first car, um, moved myself out of the projects, moved myself away from him, getting my own place, um, really standing on my own, standing on my own two, um, two feet, really being admired by a lot of my friends and family members. But I was horrible at relationships. And I had gotten to a point in my life where I didn't understand how I had all of this going for me. Yet I still was not married. I still did not have the love that I so desperately seek. So in order before I was able to enter into my healing process, and I know many times when I have other women on the show, after they tell their story, I ask them, well, what is your healing process? What did it look like for you? So for me, my healing process was a series of self-examination and a series of um, enlightenment into who I was, why I did the things that I did, and what could I do to correct it. So the first thing that I had to do in order to enter into my healing process was I had to recognize the pattern. You know, I had to recognize the pattern of dating the same guy over and over again different name same spirit the same needy guy the same guy that um didn't have anything going for himself no job no place to stay no car um nothing going on no dreams no aspirations no goals that was the pattern that was the pattern of guy that i was always attracted to and always found myself in a relationship with so once i began to recognize that pattern and i remember it vividly i was having a conversation um with God, ironically. And um, and I was talking about one of the guys that I had been in a relationship with. And for the life of me, I could not remember his name. Every name was coming up of my former boyfriends other than his. And I kept asking, I was like, God, why can't I remember his name? He said, because they're all the same. It's the same spirit. And when he said that, it, the light bulb went off and I sat there in silence, just staring at the wall. And I was like, oh my God, it really is. It really is the same guy, but a different name. I kept dating the same guy over and over again. And so when I recognized that pattern, I, re I also, the second thing I had to do, I had to realize that God was the answer. I said, okay, God, what is it in me that's constantly making me or allowing me to choose these wrong men? Even though I say I want a king, even though I say I want a provider, even though I say I want a protector, even though I say I want um, this guy to take care of me, why do I still continue to choose the opposite? What is it in me that's broken that keeps attracting brokenness? 
And once I asked that question, I had to submit to the process. And that process was hard because it was very awakening. And I had to allow God to show me me. And I started by telling you the stories of my molestation because God took me back to those places of hurt, those places where I knew or I decided that I was no longer loved or that I needed love or that I couldn't receive love. And those were those places of hurt. And I had to snatch the Band-Aid back off of those. And, and I remember in a dream that all of those images, all of those visions, all of those stories came back to me. And I was mad at God. I was like, I don't want to remember all this. is not that I really buried it, but I had really put it under a rug and said, it don't matter anymore. Because remember, by this time, I'm 30 plus years old. Um, why do I want to remember something that happened 13, 14 years old? You know, so I was really mad and I ran. <laughs> I ran at first. At first, I really literally, and I, I ran. And by this time, this is when God had told me to get back to writing. And I started to write down my feelings. I started to write down what he was revealing to me in scriptures. I started to write down what he was telling me to do to get past it. And then the, after I submitted to the process, the fourth thing I had to do was I had to learn how to forgive. And a lot of times when you're walking around with unforgiveness, you walk around with it and you don't know you need to forgive because you're justified. I felt justified in being angry. I mean, those men helped me, hurt me. They, they molested me. They abused me. They misused me. I saw them be my mother. I mean, why should I have to forgive? You know, so, <clears throat> excuse me, that was the one thing that I didn't understand. But in order for me to forgive, I had to learn how to release the blame because I didn't understand who was the blame. You know, the first one that happened, the first three that happened, we were children. And so I kept telling myself, oh, they were kids. They don't know any better. So I asked God, I said, so who was the blame? And, and the Holy Ghost was like, you were a child, too. You didn't know any better. So why are you blaming yourself? I was like, okay. I was like, but what about the last one? He was a grown man. Surely he is the blame. Um, hi, Maude. How are you? My book is available on my um, website. If you click the link in my bio, um, and then it'll take you to my website, and then you can click on book, um, and it'll take you to the page where you can see all of the books um, listed. And so after... Um, with the last one, I was like, okay, well, who is the blame now? Because he was a grown man. He was a grown man and I was a child. So surely he is the blame. And God really, really had to deal with me. And I really didn't understand. I didn't want to release that blame. You know, I was like, I'm blaming him. It's his fault. Yep. He's the reason why I'm choosing all these crazy men, blah, blah, blah. And one day I was um, watching an episode of Oprah. And I don't really watch a lot of daytime TV because I work during the day. But this particular time, I think I was at home or either I was watching a rerun at night. And on her show, she was interviewing rapists and child molesters. And she asked one of them, she said, do you deserve to be in prison? And he said, yes. 
In fact, I should be on death row. And she said, why? He said, because I'm a murderer. And she um, she said, explain, what do you mean? And he said, I killed who she would become. And when he said that, I burst into tears like no other because I finally understood. I understood that the enemy has set up a plan of attack to kill who I would become. Because at eight years old, I profess Christ. At eight years old, I profess my God as my Lord and Savior. And he wanted to kill who I would become. However, God showed me that he allowed it because what I've been through was going to help somebody else. And for the very first time, I understood and I was able to release the blame um, from that guy, from my mother, because I was angry at my mother. I'm like, I'm your baby girl. How come you didn't know? How come you didn't help me? How come you weren't there? If you had been there, you know, if you hadn't been in the streets, you know, if you had been home, now don't get me wrong, I, I call my mother a, a functioning addict because she... Even though she did her drugs and her alcohol, she always made sure we had a roof over our head, clothes on our back, food to eat. We never went hungry. I mean, look at me. I'm a thick girl. We've been <laughs> we've never been hungry. We've never been homeless. You know, so she always took care of us. However, she was going to be in the streets doing what she needed to do. She would leave. You know, she would when I got home from school, she would make sure did my homework, had food, um, had clean clothes for the next day. But around nine, 10 o'clock, she would be out over her friend's house and she would come back to three o'clock in the morning to check on me. So that was the pattern. So I had anger towards her as well. So um, God had to enlighten my perspective when it came to the man who molested me, as well as the pain that my mother endured in her past that prevented her from being the mother that I thought she should be. Because remember, as an adult, looking back over your childhood, you often judge your parents based off your current knowledge. You know, and if you are a parent, I'm not a parent, but if you are a parent, you know, being a parent don't come with no menu. So they are going off of what they know and what they've experienced. And God showed me all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the abuse that my mother had endured that I didn't even have privy to. Yes, growing up, I saw her being beaten by my, um, who I call daddy number one. That's the one I was raised with. Um, and I saw her beaten by him. But before him, before me, before my brother and I were even born, she had endured a whole lot more than that, that I really didn't know anything about. And um, God showed me glimpses of a lot of the things that she had been through in dreams and visions. And it allowed me to take on a different perspective to be able to release that hurt and that anger and that blame towards her. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't perfect. Our relationship still wasn't perfect. However, I still was able to um, honor her the way that the word says honor her before she left this earth. Um, and then the fifth thing that I had to do was I really had to let go of the regret and the shame in addition to the blame. Because a lot of times when you go through things like that, you have this 
this idea of what your life would have been like or could have been like if those things wouldn't have happened to you. And I believe that is why it was so imperative that God impressed upon me to write my story. Because once you write the story, once you release the story from your mind onto the paper or even into the atmosphere through speaking, you release the um, hold that the enemy has on your mind because you can no longer um, walk in the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. You can no longer say, well, if I had done this differently, then this happened. You know how you replay, well, if I hadn't went over their house that night, then this wouldn't have happened and my life would be so much different. If I hadn't got into this relationship with him, then my life would be so so much different. And we tend to do that when we go through traumatic experience. Well, once I wrote my story, I can no longer say that. It's written, it's in black and white, and it's done. It's over with, and, and the enemy can no longer torment me in my mind with those shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And then I had to let go of the shame. That shame is that thing that keeps you hiding, that keeps you wondering if everybody can see your scars. And it keeps you from trusting people. It keeps you from allowing people to get close to you. And um, what that does is it blocks true condition, unconditional love. Wholeness cannot get to you because you're still walking around in brokenness. And so, and that's what I did. My brokenness, because I was so fearful of it, because I was so afraid of it, it was still attached to me and it was still drawing brokenness from others to me. You know, so I had to learn how to release that shame and walk with my head held high. And really, and that came about through a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of prayer, a lot of prophetic words, everything that God told me I am, everything that God told me that I could do, I wrote it down in a journal. And I have that in my journal and I bring it out and I read it. Not every day. I used to read it every day when I was going through the healing process. But now I read it about once, maybe twice a week whenever I get weary and I bring it out and I remember and I speak it out out loud over myself. And I tell myself, you are a masterpiece. You know, um, everything that you touch is blessed. You know, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. God said this. God said that. And I repeat that to myself over and over again so that I don't continue to dwell on what happened. And I don't continue to be fearful of allowing others to see my pain because the pain is a part of me. It's a part of who I am, but it does not define me. It does not limit me. It does not um, put me in the box that it once did and says, you can't do this and you can't do that. You know, so. Um, and then the last thing that I had to do um, for my healing process was I had to trust God because it doesn't look pretty every day. You don't get everything you want. I still don't have that husband, but I'm not I'm no longer dwelling on it. No, before I got to number seven, I skipped number six. Ha, my bad. Number six is I had to really uncover my purpose. And that is where the beauty 
um, writing came about is I did not understand that writing was a gift. I thought it was a hobby. <laughs> I thought it was something that I just did that um, communicated with God and that allowed me to release a lot of the pain that I was going through. And it was just recently in the last huh, two years after the publishing of the second book that I really realized that it was a gift, you know, and um, and the gift was that I was able to write my story in a way in which that I could show people not just um, what happened to me, but I can show them how to come out. I can show them the victory. I could teach them um, how to um, apply a lot of the principles that God gave me to their own lives. And I recognized that that was the gift that God gave me in my writing. And that was the gift that um, God revealed my communication skills to him. When I write, it takes me into the presence of God. And I feel as though I am at one with him literally sitting at his feet, you know? So um, it's really, really a beautiful thing. And when I recognized that I was able to embrace who I am really as an author, as a speaker, as a teacher, um, and really allow myself to really go forth and do the things that God said I could do. I didn't know about starting a business. You know, when I went to school, <laughs> I wanted to be a, a counselor. I knew I wanted, I always knew I wanted to help people. So I was going after the social work and the counseling degrees, you know, because that was the manner in which I wanted to help people. But lo and behold, God has been using my books to do that same counseling and that same teaching because in my books, the counselor in me comes out. In my books, the teacher in me comes out. And even in a lot of the courses and the programs that I um, have, I've created now, the counselor in me comes out. So um, once I uncovered my purpose, it gave me a sense of fulfillment and it also gave me a sense of direction i no longer have to dwell on having a man i no longer have to dwell on when is my mr right coming don't get me wrong i am human just like anybody else so yes it does get lonely at times i mean that's the life of a writer a lot of times i spend a lot of time at home alone in my office writing but at the same time it is it does not consume my thought process it does not consume my actions it does not consume um every fiber of my being every speech that all the speech that comes out of my mouth is not about a man you know as it was in the past so um my purpose has really gave me purpose it's gave me focus it's gave me direction so without that I would still be lost. You know, I would still be waddling, waddling, waddle, <laughs> wallowing in self-pity. So, um, which brings me to number seven. I had to learn to trust God because the really in all out, the enemy is still busy. And anytime you say that you're going to give your life to God, anytime you say that you're going to, um, turn your life over to God and live for him and draw other people to the kingdom with your gifts, use your gifts to exalt him. You just put a target on your back. 
you know, um, and the enemy will try to stop you in any shape, form or fashion that he can do. And I'm one of those people. I always tell folk, I don't have no haters because I don't pay attention to them. And if I do have any, they don't say nothing to me. And that's good. So um, I'm not one of those to be like my haters. This is my haters that no, 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 no. I'm talking about those spiritual attacks when he attacks your finances, you know, when he attacks your home, when he attacks your body, uh, when he tries to attack your family. Those are those spiritual attacks that I'm talking about that you have to remember to trust God no matter what. Um, and this last two years, 2015 is when I had my job experience, so to speak, where um, I lost my job, lost my mom lost my house all in the same year and i was unemployed for about 15 months and looking back on it i was stressed out <laughs> i was so stressed out i started smoking and everything but um looking back on it now i was more stressed out than anything because god had already worked it out i mean god took care of me for 15 long months when i didn't have anything coming in you know, I had occasional contracting jobs where I went taught a class um, here and there, or um, I found a job, uh, a summer position coaching um, at a track meet, um, things like that to bring in some income. Then I had some unemployment for about five months in there. And but all in all, God really took care of me for those 15 months. I didn't miss a beat. Y'all hear me? Nothing got cut off. Except for cable. And I was kind of upset about that because I love my TV. And um, <laughs> but the cable was the only thing that I really um went without in that season. I didn't miss a beat. I didn't miss any food. I had people calling me, taking me out to eat, taking me out to dinner. I had people paying my gym membership so that I can keep going and get some exercise in, but I stopped that, you know. Um I, God just had people giving um, me money to put gas in my car. He had people calling me for this and calling me for that. And somebody was paying my cell phone bill so that I could um, get a job whenever they call. I mean, it was just amazing how God really opened doors for me um, during that season. And then um, after I lost my house, my brother was able to get us another house and he paid all the bills because I still wasn't working, you know, um, I couldn't even put my name on the lease because I didn't have a job, you know, so it was just amazing how really, how God really took care of me in that season. And I'm really, really forever grateful. And even now with me starting the multiple businesses, um, I am woman is my ministry. And that is the ministry of a singles empowerment um, ministry. It's not really up and running all the way, so to speak, because um, still working some things out and still getting some things together for that. But I still do um, bits and pieces through that ministry, um, like my right to heal program. And that is a um, it's a step by step guide that really teaches people um, how to journal through the pain. Because I remember I'm I told you that um, journaling was my thing. That was the thing that really got me through a lot of the heartaches. 
in a lot of the trials and a lot of the things that I went through. So um, I learned how to journal and I learned how to um, implement a lot of different actions and a lot of different plans with those journals to actually get through the healing process. So that Right to Heal program is really my signature program and that is the signature program of I Am Woman that um, that I help women really heal from a lot of their traumatic experiences through journaling. And it is a six week program. It is absolutely online. It is currently right now at 349 um, for whole six weeks. You get me in a in um, a group setting um, and you work directly with me and we work through a lot of the issues. We go through um, recognizing you need to heal. We go through releasing the um, the we go through learning how to forgive. We go through releasing the blame. We go through walk uncovering your purpose. We go through um, um, recognizing that other people need your um, help. And we go through really walking in forgiveness and maintaining that forgiveness because a lot of times people really think that um, healing process is one thing and you're done. No, 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 it's continuous because um even now there are still some things that i'm healing from now you know in the process but i still continue to trust god through it and i know because he healed me in another area i know he gonna heal me in the next one so it's about um the healing process is really about being patient with yourself and not really aborting the process it is about continuing the journey and not giving up on yourself because you are worth the wait. And it's not about perfection either. Really, the healing process is about recognizing the pattern and identifying steps to get over it. You know, it's about not really dwelling in that place and not allowing the hurt to control your actions. You take a control of your actions. That's what the healing process is about. And once you go through it in one area, you know how to apply it in different areas when you go through various trials and tribulations. Because as my grandmama used to say, if you have not been through something, keep living. <laughs> because eventually you're going to go through something and you're going to need that grace. You're going to need that healing and deliverance to make it through. So that is what that um, Right to Heal program is all about. And then after um, the Right to Heal, I started really um, this year. Well, it wasn't started this year, but I started Victory Publishing. And Victory Publishing is my publishing company under which I publish all three of my books. And um, and that's all three of them there. Um, on Instagram, I'm sorry, you can't see the um, covers of the book. But um, Victory Publishing, I created that in 2011 um, as the company in which I would self-publish my own books. Well, um, this year, I opened it up and now I have created a lot of different programs, writing programs with the writing coaching and then the group coaching and the one-on-one -on -one coaching to really help others learn how to turn their stories into books as well. So I'm really excited about Victory Publishing and I'm excited about the vision that God gave me for it. And I'm really excited about to see um, the many authors and the aspiring authors that he's gonna send my way 
and the men, uh, men and women with an awesome story to tell. And the thing about Victory Publishing that I think sets me apart, that makes me different is I want to publish stories or help people write stories that edify the kingdom, that not only tell what you've been through, but also tell the victory, what God did and how God brought you out and how he can help somebody else as well. Because the world is sick and tired. Well, not sick and tired. The world is moaning for God. They want to see the God of healing. They want to see the God of deliverance. They need to see the God of deliverance and healing. And he's still healing today. These are not miracles that we just spoke of in the Bible days. No, God is still healing, delivering and setting free today. And those are the stories that I want to help people birth. Those are the stories that I want to help put in the atmosphere and into the world, those stories that show how great our God is. So I'm really, really, really excited about Victory Publishing. And um, one of the um, programs that I have coming up that I'm going to tell you about before I get out of here is the Kingdom Writers Workshop. The Kingdom Writers Workshop is really a free workshop that I created to help those writers who know they have a story to tell. You already know that you have been through some great stuff and God has brought you a mighty long way and he has been impressing it upon your heart to write the book, but you don't know where to start. You don't know other than the title, because I already know you got your title. <laughs> Other than the title, you don't know where to start. You know, so that is what the Kingdom Writers Workshop is all about. It is going to teach you the top two things that you need to know in order to get started writing. And it's going to really help you to end the procrastination. And those top things are identify your reader and find your voice. And I'm going to take you through the um, different steps that you can take to find your reader and find your voice as well. And, um, and once you get, and also as a bonus to this workshop, you're gonna get my um, um, self-publishing one-on-one checklist for free. You're also going to get my four ways to slay your outline for free as well. And also at the end of this workshop, you are going to have written your outline, which means you're gonna have your book written out from chapter to chapter, not the total book won't be complete, but you will have your outline and you will know what you're gonna be talking about in each chapter when you finish with, when I get finished with this workshop. So um, I'm really, really, really excited about it. Um, and um, it's going to lead into a um, writer's challenge in which you will actually leave with all of that I just studied. You will have all of your book written out and even have a couple of chapters under your belt if you follow the plan correctly. So um, I'm excited about the direction that God is going. I'm excited about all of the things that he's uncovering in my life. And I'm more excited to see how he's turning things around for my good. Because like I said, the enemy had a plan to stop me. So now it's like, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> it's like, let's go, let's get it. And 
I'm not rushing the process because at first, I have to be honest, about a year ago, I was really frustrated that things were not popping. You know, them books not selling, you know, them, them, them clients not coming. Okay, God, what's going on? But now um, am, I am enjoying the process and allowing God to lead, allowing God to um, give me a strategic plan in how to implement uh, so many of the creative ideas that he gave me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am a avid journaler journal. Every time I write a new book, I get a new journal. <laughs> um, I have a big journal, a book of ideas, where every time God gives me an idea, I put it in there. I mean, God has given me programs. He's given me company names. He's given me so much that I have to, that I feel like I have to get done. I'm like, oh my God, how are we going to do all this? But the key in that is we. I know that with God, I can do everything that's on my list, including getting that husband. But I'm not even focused on him right now <laughs> anymore. Um, he is not at the forefront of my mind anymore because, like I said, purpose gave me purpose. And if you are still out there, still being um, frustrated that you're single, or still being frustrated that you have not reached um, the pivotal moment in your life. Because I know as women, we have this whole plan of how we want our life to go. You know, by 30, I wanted to have a career in the big house with the white picket fence and the 2.5 children and a dog. I mean, I wanted all of that before 30. It didn't happen like that. <laughs> I did get the house, but it wasn't my dream house. You know, um, I'm just now walking into my career really over these last couple of years and I didn't have the kids. And now that I'm 41, I'm like, you know what, God, we don't got to have them. You know, we good. But um, and I still didn't get the husband in the time that I said I wanted. But guess what? The one thing, the beauty of it all is that everything God promised you, it's going to come to pass. So as long as I haven't gotten everything so to speak i know i still have time on this earth <laughs> and that is the beauty of having that relationship and that assurance and faith in god is that you know that his promises are yea and amen and he cannot lie he absolutely cannot lie so everything that he promised everything that he said he was going to do it's going to come to pass as long as you don't give up you know, nothing can stop you from getting the blessings of God but you. So you have to remember to continue to put God first. Don't abort the process, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what you see, no matter who you think is doing better than you and um, living worse than you. Don't worry about them. Keep your eyes on God because he cannot lie. He will not lie. If his word was a lie, it's going to turn into a truth and you wouldn't even know it. So stay focused on God no matter what. Um, keep your head up. If you're still hurting and you're still um, dwelling on your past, reach out to me. Send me an email. Send me an inbox and we can walk it through and we can help you to get to a place of wholeness so that you can live your best life because God came that we may have life and life more abundantly. He did not come so that you can be stuck in mediocrity.
that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is greatness in you. And you absolutely have to believe it in order to get it. A lot of times um, people don't achieve their greatness because they're stuck in fear and they don't believe that they can have. And when you and what fear does is fear prevents you from putting action to your faith. Fear will keep you sitting in the house, being caught up on all of the housewives and the and this, this, and then the other, and I'm not against TV because you need your uh, creative outlet. You know, you need to have your entertainment. But if you're spending more time watching other people live their lives than you are living your own life, you got to change that <clears throat> because that's not living. You know, there is a time to um, time to play and there's a time to get busy and you have to be busy. You have to prepare for what you want God to do. You have to put action to your faith. I don't care if you have to crawl, crawl. Eventually you're going to get there. It's not about how fast you get there. It's about staying steady and keeping the pace and keeping your eyes on God. Because the thing about God is you can think you're moving at a snail's pace, but God can change your situation in the blink of an eye. Because that's just how great and how awesome he is, you know, so you never know. But um, so don't allow the enemy to tell you that God has forgotten about you. Don't allow him to do that. You know, um, continue to uplift yourself. You know, one of my books is a devotional and um, I read it myself. You know, I bring it out and I read it because there's a lot of encouragement in there because on this journey towards purpose, it's going to get hard because life happens. People are going to die. People are going to lose jobs. People are going to get sick. You're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose family members. Things like that happen. That's normal. You know, we we came to this earth naked, naked we shall live. So we are nobody is promised forever. So things like that are going to happen. Yes, it's unexpected. Yes, it hurts, but no, it should not stop you. It should not take a minute, mourn the loss, but get yourself back up and dust yourself back up and keep moving. You have to keep moving. If I've learned nothing from um, what I've been through over the years from childhood to now is you have to keep going. You absolutely have to keep going no matter what. Um, a lot of people say that <laughs> um, I don't let um, things like that bother me or they can't see. Well, that's a lot because when my mom died, honey, I was in straight up depression <laughs> for about from the time she, my mom dad passed in September, I was straight up depressed um, until uh, January or February. And I'm talking about eat, sleep, and repeat. That's all I was doing. You know, it was, I felt like I was literally in a pit. So I really understand when the enemy gets hold of your mind and you think that nobody loves you and nobody cares. So you might as well end it all. I was that girl. You know, I thought of many days to run my car off the bridge, you know, but by the grace of God and by the people that were around me that was always praying for me because in that pit, I couldn't even pray. <clears throat> You know, so I thank God for those around me and those who love me, those my church family, my friends um, and my family members who continue to keep me up in prayer. You never know who was praying for you. 
you know, and a lot of times the enemy tries to stop you from praying and and making you think that you have to have all these thuses and thous. No, no, no. When I was in my pit, the only thing I could muster up to say was God help me. I couldn't say anything else. My mind was boggled down. I mean, literally, I could not say anything else. Or I would pick up the phone and call one of my um my big sisters. And I would call and I would be like, let's just pray. And she'd be like, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, just pray. And she was just going to prayer. <laughs> you know, no questions asked, no judgment given, no nothing. We would pray. And she would be like, I love you, bye. And, that, and it would be that and it would be exactly what I needed. So don't take for granted your prayer words, warriors. Don't take for granted the power of your own words. You don't have to go to God um, with the thuses and vows and, and spitting the word all the time. You have to go to him with a pure heart. That's what he requires is a pure heart heart. Many times I will sit in the middle of my bed just crying, talking to God, just like I'm talking to you right now and and cry myself to sleep, you know, and and he heard every last one of those prayers. And I know he did because a lot of the things have transpired and have come to pass now, you know, so God is listening in your brokenness. He is listening to you each and every day. You just have to remember that he is always with you. Always, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. And remember, um, you have to worship him in spirit and truth. It's not a feeling anyway, it's a heart thing. So, as long as you keep your heart towards him, he will bring you out, he will bring you through. But again, don't give up and don't stop, keep moving. Um, I just wanted to share um, my testimony again with you all. So um, if you find it in your heart to go and visit my website and check out my book, check out my programs, then please feel free to do so. Um, in the comments, you will see the information on um, the workshop if you want to sign up. It is June 30th. That's a Saturday. It is a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. And it's only going to be about two hours. So I'm not going to take up a lot of your time and a lot of your Saturday from your um, family. So please, please join the workshop if you can. And then also, if you want to be a guest with me, an interview with me on Pursuit of Purpose and share your story, share your victory, then please apply at my website as well. The link is on this video. So please, please come on out. Please come out and um Share your story because people need to hear what God has done and people need to hear how he turned your pain into purpose. And that's really all that I have for tonight. Those on Instagram, if you catch the replay, be sure to give me a lot of likes and a lot of love. Those on Facebook, if you catch the replay, be sure to say hi in the comments or type hashtag replay so that I can come back and interact with you as well. Um, that's really all that I have on tonight. That's all for this episode of Pursuit of Purpose. So thank you so much for joining you. <laughs> joining you. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you all perhaps again on next week to share some more information. And thank you. And God bless. And remember, 
there is purpose in your pain. Good night.